Our text listed in the bulletin, which is what I sent in, is only a couple of verses, so I'm going to read the context, which is part of our meditation this morning on the Word. It's Revelation chapter 1. I'll begin with verse 9 and read to the end of the chapter for context. So, the book of Revelation, the last book of the Scripture. Revelation 1, verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are about to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord abides forever. Let us pray together. Almighty God, our Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior. Amen. So what are you doing? We're meeting today in an elementary school, and we're not here for classes. What are you doing? Well, you're worshiping, obviously. Silly question. But you could do that at home. Now, many years ago, there was a popular practice to have drive-through church, like a drive-in, where you would go up to the church building and there would be a speaker, you put it in your, you know, put it on your uh, window of your car, and you could hear the service. This was before the time of cell phones and, you know, any visual way. You could just listen to the service in your car, and then when it was over with, you drive off. I didn't do that, oddly enough. Part of it is this text The text that we read tells us something about what we're doing that is vital. 
Now, at the beginning of our service, we have what we call the call to worship. And the word call here really means, not call like, you know, shouting at somebody. It means an invitation. It can even mean a summons. We, we read those psalms as the call to worship because it's from the scripture that you hear this call to worship. From the Lord's own voice, he summons you to worship. He invites you to worship. You're invited in the presence of the great king. So what we're doing is we're meeting with the Lord. You came here today with various motives, faithfully coming to church, and here's what happens. You come to church, and you as a church are meeting with the Lord. Now, having beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord in church is great, and that's part of why we're doing this collectively, is so we can share this experience together. It actually is in our text also. Because we are together in this. But the Lord tells you in this text that he will be here with us and is with us. One thing I'm going to remind you of later, you, you know, you may know all this, I'm just reminding you of something important. But it's not whether you imagine it or not that makes it true. It's not a mindset that makes this true. It is true because the Lord promises to do it, and he's faithful. He tells you in this text that he's here with us. So let's look at it. Now, the context is the book of Revelation. People sometimes avoid the book of Revelation, which I think is a real problem for you. This is your book. This is a book where the Lord says himself specifically, write this down and send it to my people. You saw that, right? Write this down, send it to the churches. And he, he names the churches, just so there's no mistake here. I want you to send this book to my people. I want you to write down what you see, John, and you send it to them because this is for them. You see, this is for you. This is your book. And if you've been confused by some teaching out there that makes this a very difficult book to untangle and you can't do it without, you know, multi-form charts and graphs and, you know, overheads and all sorts of stuff, it, just ignore that stuff and read it. You'd be surprised at how much in this book is really rather obvious and easy to understand and important for you to understand. Some of those I'll just point out in passing. But it opens with a way that is really pretty obvious. It opens by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God granted to him to show to his students, to beg your pardon, his, his servants, what is going to happen quickly through John. And then it says, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written, for the time is near. 
So this is called the Revelation of John in our titles, but the opening says the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And Revelation here means unveiling, disclosure. He's showing himself. This is a revelation, an unfolding uh, presentation of Jesus Christ. And that opening vision that John receives, he calls it prophecy. When you have prophecy of visions, they're like dreams. That's just normal. You think Isaiah, you think Zechariah, you think Daniel. This is what we're dealing with in the book of Revelation. It's like those books. It's what he calls it the words of this prophecy. Visions, what I saw in a vision. And he sees the Lord ascended and glorified. So here's that opening presentation of the Lord. He sees him in symbolic form, but that's normal for visions, in, in ways that uh, display who he is. He has the long robe and a sash. He's a high priest. That's the Old Testament high priest garment. He has white hair like wool. He's divine. That's actually a picture from Daniel, where God is presented as the Ancient of Days. But he's one like a son of man. He's a human. Uh, this is our incarnate divine Savior. So this is what we're dealing with in the book of Revelation, a disclosure of Christ. And so we have this uh, as the dominant point that you get in the book. This is a book about Christ, who he is and what he's up to. It's interesting you're going to talk about limited atonement. One of the clearest passages on limited atonement is Revelation 5, who paid for some from every tribe, nation, people, and language group with his own blood. He paid for particular people from the four corners of the world with his own blood. That's there in Revelation 5, 9. So this is a book with a lot of clear teaching for us. Let's, let's, go, let's go now. We've you know, introduced the book as prophecy and vision and focus on Christ. Now let's just look at uh, our few verses and then talk about them in context. It opens in verse 9 by John saying, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and kingdom and patient endurance was on the island called Patmos. Patmos is just an island off the coast near Ephesus. Uh, it's a rocky little rock, and it's not very interesting, to tell you the truth. It's sort of like that Target island off the coast of San Diego. I forget the name of it. You know, it's south of the uh, island everybody goes to. We went to that island from Dana Point. Sorry, having a brain cramp. What's the island? Catalina, yeah, but south of it is an old Navy target island. Well, that's what, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, well, that, you don't want to go there because there's still unexploded shells on it. But this, this is what Patmos is like. It's just this rocky place that had a mine and it really wasn't very interesting. But John says, I was there because of the testimony of Jesus. This is, he was there because he had to be there. He was probably escaping persecution. That's the, that's the most likely scenario. And John says this actually several times, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. This is kind of code word for 
holding fast to the testimony of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's what this book is also about. It's a disclosure of Christ for the purpose of you holding fast to our faith. The testimony of Jesus in our day. That's what this book is to encourage you with. That you are not alone. That there are others who've gone before who also had to stand fast for his name in spite of persecution. And Christ knows this. And he is with us throughout all this. That's what he is assuring you of in this book. And he had it written down so he didn't have to give you know, Pastor John a vision every week so, you know, to give you some new thing, but it would be the same message. If he gave Pastor John the vision, it would be the same vision week by week. Really what you're reading here. And so we have a complete presentation, you know, with all the scripture, but here is very complete and very informative of what we need to know to hold fast. Notice how John puts this. Again, in verse 9, partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance. These three things are stated in such a way that they're linked. The persecution, the kingdom, and the patient endurance are all one big complex. Persecution comes by belonging to Christ's kingdom, and it requires endurance patiently holding fast in this life. We're pilgrims. I actually, being a Westerner like you, I think of the wagon trains. I don't know about pilgrims. That's quite a long time ago. But, you know, wagon trains. We're on a wagon train. We're moving cross-country in a very difficult adventure. We're, we're traveling cross-worlds on a very difficult venture, to a kingdom that will not end, as we confessed earlier. A kingdom that is a new creation that he has given to us now. And John says, I was on this island because of that. He held fast in patient endurance through persecution because of that kingdom that he's been made a part of through the blood of Christ. And that's why he was there. Now, let me mention to you also, as we keep going on this verse and into the next verse, verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's not accidental that the Lord appeared to John on the Lord's day. Now, Lord's day can mean two things in the Scripture. It can mean the day of the Lord, which is, that's the big one. (laughs) So when the big one strikes, that's what we're talking about. That's the Lord's day when he comes for us. That's the day of of the last trumpet. But that's, that's not what John is talking about. It's interesting he doesn't actually say it that way. He uses an unusual expression, one that... um, He uses a word here that only appears twice in the New Testament. And it can actually be rendered imperial. The imperial day. It's the day that belongs particularly to the Lord. It's his own private day. 
That's how this word is used in, among contemporaries. So imagine you were to go into a medieval castle um, and you were invited, which is nice, by the king in the castle to come and have a feast. And you walked in, you know, and you saw, oh, those gold plates over there. And you sat down and said, okay, let's, let's have the feast. And then, of course, the butler comes by and he says, I'm sorry, but that's the Lord's plate. That's his plate and goblet. That's the imperial plate. That's what this, how this word is used. This is his own private royal thing. It's the Lord's day. It's a day that he claims. The Lord claims Sunday for himself and you. He says, this is my day. It's not accidental that John put this in here. You don't get, you know, just throwing out travel log kind of information in books like this. When, they, when you get something like this, you say, well, why is that there? Because it's, you know, a particular point to, that helps understand what's happening. And that's what's happening. This is the Lord's own day that he's sanctified by being raised from the dead. In modern Greek, they use this same expression. In fact, this is the start of it. From this point on, all the way into the modern Greek period, they use this same expression for what we call Sunday. They, in modern Greek, it's just the Lord's, the Lord's day. And so this is his particular day when he appears to John. And that's why you're here. You're here because this is the Lord's day, and he has consecrated it. I mentioned there's only two occurrences of this word Lord in that expression. The other one is the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10. So we talk about the imperial plate. Today, they're wooden. That's the imperial plate. That's the imperial supper. It's his own, but he now in a bit, we'll share with you. It's the Lord's Supper. And you're invited to partake with him. He shares it out with you, that he may commune with you. And that's what this book is showing you here. It's the Lord's day for worship. Now, he says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. There's, again, there's two ways to take this. Remember in John 4, Jesus is talking with this Samaritan woman uh, at a well in Samaria. And he says, those who worship the Father must worship in spirit and in truth. And it could be that John is simply saying, I was worshiping on the Lord's Day in the spirit. But that's, that's an expression for he was in worship because the spirit was there in a particular way. That's one possibility. The other is that John is caught up in the Spirit, and he's talking about being a prophet, because the prophets participate through the Holy Spirit in receiving these visions. It really doesn't matter which one is true, because both are true in Scripture. Which one John means here, I personally tend to the first one. I think that he's talking about he's worshiping on the Lord's day. And that's what really informs what happens to him. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, notice that John identifies himself not only as a Christian, but he says, your brother and partner in the kingdom, and then the tribulation and endurance. See, he's one of us. John is telling you, look, I'm nobody special. I'm just one of you. I'm one with the church because I'm a member of the church. That's what you have as a claim. And you may say to yourself, look, I'm a kid. I'm I'm not important here. Want to bet? (laughs) You're a member of the church. You're here in the Lord's day, in the Lord's presence. He thinks you're pretty important. It really doesn't matter how much education you have, where you come from, your ethnic heritage. It makes no difference. You are a vital member of this body. And that's, that's what John is conveying. I'm a, I'm a fellow member. Notice he doesn't say, look, I'm an apostle. Well, you know, better, better really respect me. He, that's not his claim. That's not that important to him. What's important to him is that he's a member of the church of Christ. He's our brother. That's part of his qualification as a prophet. He's not like Balaam. We call it Balaam was this prophet that Balak had hired to curse Israel when they were coming into the promised land. It's interesting, you have a reference to Balak, uh, Balaam, excuse me, in chapter 2 in the message to the church of Pergamum. I'll just read this. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, this is 2 verse 12, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. and You did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. See, what what the Lord is communicating is he didn't send Balaam. He sends John because he's one of us. He sends one of us to us that we may know that it's the Lord's doing. He doesn't like to send exalted people to his people. He likes to send ordinary people, people whom he's designated so that you will understand that you are all equally important to him. There's no differentiation among the Lord. And John knows that and communicates that. Now, he sent this letter to seven churches One thing to get used to in the book of Revelation is the symbolic use of numbers. It's very common. In fact, if you read your Old Testament, you'd be surprised at how often the number seven appears. Seven times I will send my great judgment against you. I mean, my great seven plagues will come against you. 
You just have the number seven. Seven times you may turn from me. Peter to Jesus. How many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? No, seven times 70. So seven just appears all over the place. It's a number that communicates fullness. So the Lord writes to seven churches. We know that there were ten churches in that area. We know that Colossians, the book of Colossians, Colossae is in that area, and they're not addressed. But they are addressed. You see, this is just a symbolic use of the number seven, the seven churches, the whole church. This is why you are included. He says, send it to my seven churches. They're, they're actual churches at that time in that place. Real people. Antipas, my faithful servant. This guy, we don't know any other, anything else about him, but he, his name is recorded in Scripture now. And the Lord knows his name. He knows your name. And the Lord addresses the seven because he's addressing us all. Now we get to the really most important point. He addresses the seven churches. And notice how he appears to John on the Lord's Day. He's walking in the midst of seven lampstands. And just so you won't misunderstand the meaning of that vision, he, he tells you what it means. He says, the lampstands are the seven churches. Like I said, Revelation's really not that complicated. One of the problems people have with Revelation is they're having it address the wrong questions. If, if he's not talking about that, don't make him talk about that. He's talking about what he wants to tell you. And here, he wants you to know without any doubt that he's walking in the midst of his church. He is with his people. How can he do that? Notice he is a man. I was dead, now I'm alive. The son of man. How can he do that? And the answer is, he has, this is chapter 5 again, Revelation 5. He has the seven spirits of God. Another use of symbolic use of numbers, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's seven because there's the lampstand is used for a lamp with a light on it, and in Scripture, the light is the flickering flame, like at Pentecost, Acts 2, is a portrayal of the Holy Spirit's presence. He is a you know, he's also portrayed as a lampstand, the menorah, seven-armed lampstand in Revelation 4. He is the presence of God with his people. That's how the Lord Jesus can be with his people. He is invested with the Holy Spirit so that where the Spirit is, there Jesus is. Now, our Lord Jesus is a human being exalted with a body, a resurrected body, like you and I will have. But through the Holy Spirit, he can be with his people because the Spirit is present with his people. We are temple of the Holy Spirit. So you came today to meet with Jesus. You received a call to worship 
which is an invitation to the presence of our great high king to worship in his presence. That's the reality of coming to church. Whether you believe it or not, whether you imagine it or not, it doesn't really matter. Whether you feel it in your emotions or not, I hope you do. I hope you feel exalted and thrilled and privileged. That's a good thing. But it's going to happen (laughs) despite your feelings and your imagination and your thoughts. Because he's walking in the midst of the seven churches. And he revealed himself on the Lord's day to John so that you would be convinced of that and understand that and prepare for that week by week. You know, brothers and sisters, maybe you've had a bad morning. Maybe you've had a bad week. Maybe you've had a bad life. Maybe you feel like God is distant from you for one reason or another. This is the place to come to meet with him because you know he's going to be here to meet with you and he knows your name and he wrote this so that you would be convinced that he's here today on the Lord's day with you, his people. That's, I, I declare that on the basis of the word of God, which doesn't change. This may have been written 2,000 years ago, but he still knows your name. And he still meets with you every Lord's Day. It doesn't matter what building you're in. It really doesn't. John was on Patmos. They didn't have nice buildings on Patmos. It really doesn't matter what it looks like. I hope you get a great church building. Fine, that's nice. (laughs) But what really matters is meeting with the Lord. He is here. That's why you have a call to worship every Lord's Day in worship. That's why you are invited into the very presence of the living God through our Lord Jesus Christ every Lord's Day the day that he is set apart for meeting with you, that's why you get that Sunday by Sunday, week after week, so that in the middle of the week, if you're having a bad day, here's what you do. You remind yourself, yeah, but Sunday's coming. And I can pour all this stuff out to the Lord. And I can meet my fellow travelers on the wagon train, who are part of the kingdom that requires the perseverance, the patient endurance, and facing all the trials that I face, who will understand and give a sympathetic ear to talk with me. That's why you are part of this community. May the Lord richly bless you in your church life, week by week, as you worship him on this pilgrimage. Amen. Let us pray. We are prone to forget, O Lord our God, the great privileges we have in Christ Jesus, particularly the promise of your presence. Help us, remind us, week by week, that we may 
grow in our most holy faith together, in our confidence in you, in our perseverance, in our love for one another, and our love for you. Grant, O Lord, that we may grow strong in the faith to be a light in this dark place, that we may glorify our risen Savior through Jesus Christ, the Great One, our Great High Priest, the One who lives so we may live as well. We pray in his precious name. Amen.